good to be with you again tonight. I appreciate the invitation to be with you this week. I appreciate your pastor bearing with me. I told him the other day, in 18 years of ministry, I've done these kinds of things since very early on. This is the first time I've ever had something happen at home where I've not been able to to fulfill the obligations that I've had. So I appreciate you bearing with me over these last couple days as I've traveled back and forth. One of the greatest assets that any church has is its young people. And let me point out to you, I, I hear as I talk with Christians in various places, we need young people in the church because they're the future of the church. Make no mistake, they're as much the church today as anybody is. They're not simply the future of the church. They're as much the church as anybody. Don't be afraid to give them responsibility and to allow them to proclaim the gospel message. You'd be amazed how much, how much God can use them to do. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8? Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. And would you rise with me in reverence to God's Word? Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. Here the Apostle Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness." If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Please be seated. I wonder sometimes when I read the Scriptures, I know it's a silly question to ask, but I read at times and I ask myself, what if this is true, what we're reading here? What if the things that we're reading are something that are given to us 
by God in all seriousness. Now, I know that He is serious and that it is true. What I mean is, what if we lived as though it's true? What if we acted as though these things are true? The Scripture tells us here that it's not our purpose to live in fear. The world works very hard to put us in fear, to to make us anxious, to make us nervous about the things that are taking place in the world today. The world works hard to cause us fear. But what if we lived as though we had nothing to fear, as though we were God's children, adopted into His family, not just heirs of the things of God, but co-heirs with Christ of a heavenly inheritance? What if we lived as though that was the truth in our lives today? As though that was reality, whether we're in school or in the workplace or with our friends or our family, wherever we might find ourselves. What if we lived as though we were children of God? What difference might it make in the relationships that we maintain today? What difference might it make in the ways that we act toward others and in the things that we do in the world around us? The reality is that we are children of God because of what Christ has done for us. The Scripture tells us that we are set apart by the Spirit of God. We are made holy by the Spirit, adopted as sons and daughters of God. The Bible knows nothing of the idea that the world promotes that everyone is a child of God. Everyone is not a child of God. I I spend a few weeks a year in the Dominican Republic doing mission work. And a large part of my work has been uh, helping pastors in, in some places, but I've, been, I've done a lot of evangelism in the Dominican Republic. We take a, we take a group and we go door to door through Haitian villages in, in the sugarcane fields. And I was with someone one time who was so desperate to get people saved and to see people commit themselves to Christ that theology was set aside. And uh, she began to tell people, You're my brother and you're my sister. You're a child of God. I want to see you in heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we are adopted as children of God because of the the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Being, Being a child of God is not a result of being born. It's a result of being born again. The Bible teaches that we are children of God if indeed we have surrendered to Christ. And we have been set free from sin. J.I. Packer tells us that our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. You see, we don't just read here that we're children of God. We read that we are adopted to be children of God. That we were adopted into the family of God. I didn't fully understand this, uh, this verse or the, <clears throat> the, the, the issue of adoption for a big part of my life. But I understand today what this means. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, made that, uh, made that comment that we must understand adoption if we're going to understand the fullness of salvation. I read Packer's book. Uh, there are 10 or 12 books I read every year, and Packer's book is one of them. And so over and over again, I've read that statement. Year after year after year, I've read that statement. About eight years ago, it began to fall into place what that meant. My wife and I this, uh, this summer in June will celebrate our 18th anniversary. For the first 10 years of our marriage, we, we struggled with the issue of infertility. And I won't go into detail about that. We don't have a lot of detail about that. It's an undiagnosed issue. And as time went on, uh, we'd gotten married very early. We were 21. We were still in college when we got married. 
time went by over the course of the ensuing years and some of our friends began to get married and then they started families and then they, they, they began to have children and we just waited. We waited and we waited and it seemed like it was simply never going to happen. After eight or nine years of waiting, we, we decided that we were going to get serious about, the, about adoption and we were going to pursue adoption. And so we adopted our oldest daughter. She'll turn eight this summer in July. But we came to understand over the course of, of that time what the Scriptures are teaching us when they tell us that we're adopted to be children of God, all that that entails. You see, that's not something that happens quickly or easily. That is a, a long process at times. There's a family in the congregation that I pastor that is, uh, that is trying to adopt, and it's been a process that's lasted a couple of years for them. It took a couple of years for us. We, uh, we paid the application fee and got all set up with, a, with an adoption agency. Their typical wait time was around nine months. We were getting on 17 or 18 months. And it was, it was a frustrating time, and it seemed like it would never come to an end. But we've seen over the course of that time the ways that God works. And we've seen illustrated in our lives the ways that God works in us as Christians. We were, in 2014, on July the 10th, I remember it because it was a Thursday. I take Thursdays off and I was studying that morning and praying and my wife had come to the point of great frustration to the point where we didn't know whether to give up or what to do. It had been a long time that we'd been waiting and we had, we'd gotten hooked up with, the, with this adoption agency. They didn't have anybody in Pennsylvania that did home studies. We had a home study done. That's when a bureaucrat comes and looks over your home to make sure that it's safe. All of the things that were put in place have been changed since everything is finalized because we put those locks on the kitchen drawers and I couldn't get them open. They keep the kids out, but they, keep, they kept me out too. And I am convinced that more adults are probably shocked every year trying to use a butter knife to pry those little things out of your outlets than kids who would be shocked with open outlets. <clears throat> but we went through that process and all those things that don't pry those out with butter knives. That's not a suggestion. <clears throat> but we went through that process and all of those things. And then on July the 10th, after a year and a half of waiting, I was studying and praying that morning. And I had finished with my devotions. And I finished praying. And I had been praying about that specifically. And I closed my Bible and I got up and walked into the kitchen to get something for lunch. My wife was asleep. She worked night shift at the time. And my phone rang. It was a matter of seconds after I had finished praying. And it was a caseworker who had done our home study. Now, she didn't work for the adoption agency. She worked for another organization. We had hired them to do that study. She said, this never happens, but a girl just left my office and she's due tomorrow. And we have nobody on our waiting list for an infant. Typically, it's a five-year wait. We don't have anybody. If you're willing to pay the application fee, then... Uh, this child will be yours. And so we did that, and she was born a week late, which gave us time to get things together. You know, you don't buy all those things and wait for years. Uh, you wait until you have a child on the way. As far as we knew, we had one day. All the things you do in preparation over nine months, we had one day. 
And so, so we began to work on those things over the course of that day. She came about a week later. But I look back on that process and I see the ways that it illustrates what God has done for us. When Scripture tells us that we are adopted to be children of God, maybe some of you have been through that. Maybe you've been adopted or you've adopted children yourself. Consider with me the ways that adoption illustrates the love that God has for us. First of all, adoption makes provision to deal with a problem that we are ill-equipped to deal with ourselves. My daughter, as an infant, would have had no way of fending for herself. Her birth mother was, was willing to give her up for adoption, believing that there was someone else who could care better for her, who could provide her more opportunity. And that's a stigma that we have to get over in this society to look down on mothers who have given up children for adoption. They don't do that generally because they don't love that child. They do that because they know that there is something better for them and that they're not equipped to give them what they need. That's something that we need to overcome in this society. But that overcomes a problem that she could not overcome herself. Babies can't fend for themselves. She's almost eight, and now she can pretty much fend for herself as long as I buy food and bring it into the house. But up until that, at that point, she couldn't fend for herself. In adoption, God is also overcoming a problem that we cannot overcome ourselves. The issue of sin. Up until the, up until the time of Jesus Christ, the only relationship that man had with God was one that was accomplished through formal ritual. One that was accomplished through the, through the sacrifices that were made throughout the Old Testament. One, one that was accomplished through ritual cleansing and all those things. And as they camped around the, around the tabernacle in the Old Testament in the days of Moses, they could look into the midst of the camp and they saw the presence of God there, but they couldn't, have, they couldn't have fellowship with the presence of God. They couldn't bring themselves into the presence of God as Moses found himself in the presence of God. Throughout the years, throughout the countless generations, they offered sacrifice after sacrifice, performed ritual after ritual, hoping to find some kind of fellowship with God. But they couldn't find the fellowship that they wanted, and they couldn't find the fellowship that God wanted. Because God wanted something more than formalism in the relationship that He had with man. This is true when we deal with anything related to the church today. God wants more than ritual, and God wants more than formality. His interest is the heart of man. There are two extremes that we see within the church today that substitute for a relationship with God that comes from our heart. In one extreme, we see some of the fundamentalist movements today that carry legalism to a great extreme. I pastored in Stoneboro, Pennsylvania for six years before I moved to Catanning. There is a certain group that has their camp meeting there in Stoneboro every year. When I attended their services, before I got there, I had to stop and take my watch off because they would ask you to if you didn't. Because that's worldly adornment. Now, if you hadn't seen me take it off, you would notice there's no difference in me whether I'm wearing it or not. What always interested me when I pastored there was during the week of their camp meeting, I would drive by the camp and I would see $60,000 trucks pulling $30,000 campers. And I don't begrudge them that. That's great. But don't give me a hard time about my watch. 
That's, uh, I fail to see the difference there. That's great. That they, and whatever God blesses you with, that's great. Be thankful for it. But don't give somebody else a hard time about something like that. You see, I can go without it, and it doesn't have any effect on my heart. It might have effects on my promptness, but it doesn't have any effect on my heart. We don't need it today because we have time on our phone, don't we? But it doesn't change who I am. We can go through the checklist of all the things that need to be done, and that still doesn't change who we are. It is Jesus Christ alone who changes our heart and brings us into right relationship with God. It is Christ who cleanses us from the sinful nature that we find in this world. It is Christ who overcomes those things which hold us in bondage in this world. This is equally true when we deal with the other extreme. My brother and I played in a, in a band with, with someone who would become a friend over the course of the years. He was taken by one of the extreme charismatic movements in the New Apostolic Reformation and started a church that, uh, that follows some of the teachings there. Basically, their, their method of worship is that there are no rules. You do whatever you want to do. If it means practicing all kinds of excesses that Scripture doesn't teach us, then that's what you do. You see, on one side, we substitute ritual and formalism for a relationship with God. On the other side, we substitute emotional ritual and formalism for a relationship with God. The reality is, Christ is not concerned in how much we, uh, in how much we make an emotional showing. And I'm not telling you not to. But that doesn't endear us to Christ anymore if it doesn't change our hearts. If our hearts remain the same. That's the issue. Adoption is an issue of our heart. It's an issue of what God is doing inside of us. God wants a relationship that transforms our person and our character, not just our behavior. By transforming our person and character, make no mistake, He will transform our behavior. It will change. But it begins inside of us. God's concern is our heart and the relationship that we maintain with Him. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans that we should not be conformed to the world or to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. To be changed by the renewing of our mind. Changed from what we were to what God wants us to be. You see, this is not an issue of us becoming different out of sheer will and determination. This is not an issue of us choosing what we want to be as Christians. What we're dealing with when we consider, when we consider adoption into the family of God is becoming what God created us to be. We live in a world that tells us we can be whatever we choose to be. That is simply not true. The greatest fulfillment that you will find in this life is when you become what God created you to be. Being disciples of Christ is about taking our place in God's created order. Being what He's made us to be. That's why God said through the prophet Ezekiel to the people of Israel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God's concern was not whether they were carrying out the law to the fullest extent. That's not why they found themselves in exile by the time Ezekiel came along. God's concern was their heart. It was a spirit that was rebellious against Him. Adoption makes provision to deal with an issue that we can't deal with. Man has, uh, man has fallen. The image that God created him to bear has been irreparably corrupted by sin. And we cannot overcome that corruption on our own. We can't unsin. We can't make up for sins that we've committed. The only, uh, the only way to make up for sins that you've committed would be to be more obedient than necessary. That's what it would take to make up for sins that we've committed. We would have to to practice an overabundance of obedience. We can't do that. All we can ever hope to do is be obedient. We can't be more obedient than necessary. You can ask my mom. I've never been accused of being more obedient than necessary. It can't be done. And so we can't make up for sin. All we, can, all we can do is surrender to the Christ who paid the penalty for sin and then overcame the penalty which is, in de- which is death through His resurrection. We surrender to Him and allow the work of the Spirit to set us apart and draw us into the family of God as children. And so adoption deals with an issue that we can't overcome ourselves. How might our lives change if we lived in recognition of that reality? If we lived as though that was true? If we lived like the Apostle Paul who said, I've not yet attained all that I need to attain, but I press on toward the upward call of Christ. What if we lived our lives grateful for a sacrifice that we couldn't make ourselves? Grateful for the love of God that bore the sin of this world on the cross of Calvary. Adoption provides for an issue that we can't overcome. And then adoption proves the love of God for us. When my wife and I adopted our daughter, we had to jump through all kinds of hoops and go through through all kinds of things to prove that we had the capacity to love a child. They did psychological profiles. I shudder to think what that says. But they did all kinds of uh, psychological profiles and other things so that, they could, uh, so that they could determine whether we had the capacity to love a child. The Apostle Paul told the Romans, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Before we ever had any desire to pursue Christ, before we had any inclination toward Christ, before the Spirit ever began to work in our hearts and draw us to Him, God had already made provision for, our, for, for His love for us. Because love must be proven before adoption takes place. Adoption is a choice that is made by those who adopt. It requires parents to prove themselves. We have no reason to believe that God does not have love toward us because if we never experience anything else, we've experienced the forgiveness of sin. If He never did another thing for us, He's overcome what we could not. And we've known the love of God.
A love that was put in place, that was revealed before you and I ever came onto the scene. God has already shown us His love. In love, we read in Ephesians 1.5, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. God chose to create a world where love is experienced through relationship with one another and with Him. And it's into that relationship that God adopts us. He doesn't want to be a genie in a bottle who pops up every time we find ourselves in trouble. God wants more than that. He wants a loving relationship through the the highs and the lows of our lives, through everything that we face. He wants to be a part of every, every circumstance that we encounter over the course of this life. That's God's purpose. Adoption proves the love of those who are adopting before the necessity ever becomes a reality. God proved His love to you personally before the need ever came about. Adoption proves the love of a parent. Adoption also promises an inheritance. The Apostle Paul says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are promised an inheritance that is greater than anything we might find in this world. My wife and I, two years after we adopted our daughter, uh, my wife got pregnant and we had a second daughter. I am as ill-equipped as anybody in this world to raise two daughters. Their inheritance will be limited to a very nice bass guitar, an impressive gun collection, and a 1988 Thunderbird. I'm not sure the two little girls are are interested in any of those things. But that's their inheritance. That's what they're stuck with. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here's where the question becomes maybe most pertinent. What if we lived as though we were pursuing a heavenly inheritance? What difference might it make in the way that we live? What difference might it make in the way that we die? It amazes me to see the Christians that are absolutely terrified of death. Absolutely terrified of the things that we can't control, things that are unknown to us. What if we lived as though no matter what we approach today, we do so in pursuit of a heavenly inheritance, knowing that God wants to make the culture and the power of heaven a reality in your life and in mine. Knowing that God wants to make those things a reality in our lives so that through us, He can reveal Himself to a darkened world that is in desperate need of Him. You know what would make a great difference in this world and in the turmoil that we see around us? In the things that we read on the news and the things that that are taking place in this world? What would make the greatest difference is if God's children understood who they were and lived according to their identity. Lived according to what what He created them to be. Jesus understood his identity, and he understood what that identity meant. He became an heir of his inheritance through suffering. Not by doing what he believed was best for him. That's what the culture tells us today. 
You do what's best for you. One of the most troubling things I've ever encountered is when we had a family leave the church I pastor a while back. And in a letter of resignation from a committee, one of them said, I have to do what's best for me. That's not what the Bible teaches us at all. The world tells us to do what's best for you. Jesus tells us to deny yourself. The very fact that we, are, that, we, that we can be adopted into the family of God is a result not of Jesus doing what was easiest for Him. When we say what's best for me, that's what we generally mean. It's what's easiest for me. The very fact that we can be adopted into the family of God is a result not of Jesus doing what was easiest, but denying Himself, praying, nevertheless, Your will be done. That's why salvation is a reality for us today. Because Jesus practiced self-denial. If the path to inheritance went through suffering, then you and I might have to follow that same path. I understand that in America in the 21st century, all we have to do is turn on the TV and we hear the prosperity gospel everywhere we turn. I won't mention any names like Pat Robertson or Joel Osteen. We, everywhere we look, we hear such a gospel that Jesus wants us to be wealthy and prosperous and all those things. Jesus promised us abundant life, never wealthy life. He promised abundant life. He promised a greater inheritance than what we can find in this world. A greater inheritance than what can be provided here. And it's that inheritance we must pursue. What would it look like if we lived life pursuing spiritual inheritance? The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The reason for adopting in the first century in Jesus' day and in the Apostle Paul's day was to have an heir to pass along one's estate. You see, in those days, if someone was wealthy and they had no heir, then their estate would be broken up and given to a number of other relatives. And so everything that they had worked for, what they believed was their legacy, would be divided. It wouldn't be centralized so that people could look at that estate and say, look what that person accomplished. The last thing they wanted was for it to be divided. And so they would adopt an heir, one who would inherit that, to, to continue on the family name, to continue on the family work. Legal adoption in a Roman context was a means of a better future for the one who was adopted and a means of, in their minds, a better future for the ones who were adopting because they would have an heir for their estate and what they had done. Even in modern culture, adoption provides that. The difference when we consider spiritual adoption is that in the world, we seek to pass on material things but God offers us an inheritance that surpasses anything we could create for ourselves. We spend our lifetimes trying to create small kingdoms on the property that we buy. Trying to create our own kingdom that others will remember us by. Simple reality is, after a generation or two, we'll be little more than a footnote in a family tree. What endures is the spiritual inheritance that we pursue today. 
when we pursue the priorities of heaven in this world. That's what will endure. If we lived in pursuit of heavenly inheritance, if we lived as though we were co-heirs with Christ, then the reality of holiness being set apart for God's work would be a common pursuit among Christians. It wouldn't be something that's been pushed out to the fringes of Christendom as it has been today. It would be the central pursuit of the people of God. That we might be, as Peter describes us, a possession of God. That we might be His possession. So that through us, He can reveal His eternal inheritance. Adoption promises an inheritance the kind of inheritance that we can't earn for ourselves. Something that we, can't, that we can't accomplish on our own. And then adoption promotes the family. The legacy of a father is seen in his children. Through the inheritance and through the things that are, through the principles that are passed on to a child. My oldest daughter doesn't have the same genes that I do. But she sits on our recliner in our living room with her feet crossed and she, she insists that the Penguins goaltender is a bum. I don't know where she got that. <clears throat> Adoption promotes the family. There are things passed on within a family that we begin to see in the children. Characteristics. Tendencies that they pick up. And this ought, this ought to be true spiritually. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, maybe the most humbling verse in all of Scripture, we're told by the Apostle Paul to be therefore imitators of God as beloved children. Can you imagine such a thing? Being imitators of God. Being imitators of God when we have a disagreement with our neighbor or our spouse. Being imitators of God when our boss gives us a hard time at work. We believe that somebody's wronged us in some way. What would it look like to be an imitator of God in those situations? What would it look like to be an imitator of God when we find ourselves in need of reconciliation and forgiveness in our relations with others within the church? when we find ourselves in, in difficult places, the Apostle Paul says to be imitators of God, his beloved children. To imitate him just as a child would imitate their parent. To do the things that he does, just as a child does the things that their parent does. That's what Scripture is teaching us. Adoption is for the purpose of promoting the, the things that the things that are indicative and characteristic of the family. And so we are adopted as God's children so that we might bear the characteristics of God, so that we might bear the love and the mercy that God has shown to this world, so that we might bear all the things that God wants to make a reality in the lives of those who are fallen and need His presence. We are adopted for that purpose. I believe my brother last night made reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth about Moses 
and the fact that he would go into the tent and meet God. And when he came out, he wore a veil over his face. Not to hide the glory of God, but because it wasn't right that the people should see a fading glory. Because the glory would fade over time until Moses went in to meet with God again. But in verse 18 in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth, We all with unveiled faces, not covering with anything, behold His glory. And we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. God through adoption does not want to instill within us a glory that fades over the course of time. He wants to create with us a relationship that grows with each passing day so that His glory becomes a continuing reality within our lives. So that it grows within our hearts and becomes a part of our very nature. That's what God wants to do within us. And that's what adoption does. It promotes the family likeness. It's our place as Christians to live up to our position as royal children, as children of the King. What if we went into the world tonight having left this place as children of the King? Believing that God has created us and adopted us to bear His glory and to reveal His image to a fallen world. The day will come when my daughter will make a choice about how she will represent the family that's adopted her and raised her. We must make the same choices as as children of God as adopted children of God. He has made every preparation for our adoption. The choice to live within His family is ours. That choice takes place on the day that we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. On July 10th, 2015, one year to the day from the phone call that I received, Judge Christopher St. John in the Court of Orphans in Mercer County, Pennsylvania, proclaimed that we were the legal parents of our daughter. He explained the meaning of this, that she had every right that a biological child would have. A right to inheritance, an estate. He obviously doesn't know the sad state of my estate, <clears throat> but he explained that she would have that she would be entitled to all of that. Why? Because she was our child. On that day in 2015, it was made official, but the preparation had been made long before that. The process had taken place for months and even years leading up to that. On the day that you surrendered to Christ, you didn't take part in something new and novel. Maybe to you it was. But all the preparation had been made. God put in place everything that was necessary. Not just for us to make a profession of faith. But everything that was necessary for us to take our place as His children. And to live as His children each day. No matter what we might encounter. No matter what we face over the course of this life. The things that are true of adoption in this world today 
are also true of our spiritual lives. As the Spirit bears witness to this truth, bears witness in our heart that we are God's children, then we must take our rightful place and live as His children. Maybe you've never made that commitment tonight. Sometimes in settings like this, we take for granted that everyone has surrendered to Christ. Maybe you've never made that, made that decision to surrender yourself to the sacrifice that He made for something that we can't overcome. My friend, if you're in that place tonight, you don't have to do anything but submit. <clears throat> God has already made all the arrangements. He's already put the process in place. The sacrifice has already been made. All we must do is submit. That's where you find yourself tonight. I hope that you would be willing to make that decision. Maybe you've surrendered to Christ and you find as we talk tonight that you're living far beneath your inheritance as a child of God. We've probably all found ourselves there a time or two. Maybe you're living beneath your inheritance. You've been dragged into the fear and the anxiety and the turmoil that this world creates. We don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus told us that we would certainly have tribulation in this world. But He said, take heart, I have overcome the world. We are co-heirs with one who overcame all those things. One who has already been through it and one who will walk with us through whatever it is that we find. Are you willing tonight to commit to living up to your, your place as a child of God? We acknowledge the reality of adoption, but are we willing tonight to live as though it's true? To live as though that's who we are, to take our rightful place as children of a king. Father, we're grateful. We're thankful for the sacrifice of Christ, for all that He's done for us, for the love that was extended to us, and the mercy that's been revealed to us. God, we pray tonight, first of all, that my weakness wouldn't keep us from hearing the voice of the Spirit in these moments. Let Your Spirit speak clearly to our hearts. God, I pray if there's one here tonight who doesn't know Christ, that You would, that you would free them from the, from the bondage of the sin in this world that You would give them the freedom they need to surrender to Christ, that You would provide them with opportunity tonight. Whatever it takes, Lord, we pray that that decision would be made. Lord, we pray for those who know You tonight, who walk with You, that You would help them not to settle for anything less than a holy inheritance from heaven, that You would help us to settle for nothing less than to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ and to live in pursuit of all that He desires for the lives which we live, lives that You've created. Help us, God, to take our place tonight as Your children adopted into Your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.